If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. This call is being recorded. This call is most definitely being recorded. And today I come to you from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This is the SteelerFury.com podcast. I'm your host, Bradshaw to Ben. Uh, and uh, here to talk some kind of football with me on the bye week. It's a little weird, but we got a bye week show. Uh, it is from deep uh, in the heart of the South, or should I say South with an F. His name is FC and he's with us. How are you, sir? I'm originally from Pittsburgh, so I'm uh, more of a uh, a hillbilly than a redneck. How are you, sir? Okay, so you got to tell us what's the difference between a hillbilly and a redneck. Um, I really couldn't tell you. And all, I mean, there's like a joke about this, but I really don't buy into it. It's pretty much the same freaking thing. I heard that it was the number of uh, dogs that die if your porch collapses. <laughs> See, there you go. Yeah, that's like one of like 275 of those jokes I've heard. <laughs> yeah, well, you probably told a couple of them because since you're yes, from, I have. So you had to fight back. I'm sure they hate you because you're from somewhere else. Yeah, a little bit. I'm. Uh, it doesn't matter. I've been down here a while. Uh, I'm still considered an outsider. Damn Yankee! <laughs> How long you been gone from Pittsburgh? I have not lived in Pittsburgh full-time since June of 1992, so coming up on 25 years. Yeah, that's that's some fan dedication because you had about 10 years there where it was impossible to see their games or anything. Terrible. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, satellite before like the ticket, uh, we, we talked bars, uh, we're at there just happens to be a ton of people from Pittsburgh. They got moved down here for Westinghouse. So, uh, like, it was estimated that uh, there was 200,000 Pittsburghers that lived, retired, or, you know, basically came down here as children, got married, because Westinghouse moved down here heavily in the early 1950s. So, you know, there was 42 years of Pittsburghers here whenever I first uh, moved to the area. I live in what's called the Central Savannah River area. Um, it's Augusta, Georgia, where the Masters is played, is 10 miles from where I live. But uh, it's it's a nice little area, not too far from the mountains, not too mount- far from the coast. Charlotte's two hours away. Atlanta's two hours away. I'm actually, the, the whole time you're telling the story, I'm just thinking to myself, I can't, I can't, uh, Stop thinking about that. You've been gone from Pittsburgh since 1992, and the authorities haven't found you yet. Yeah, Amazing. yeah, they're never going to take me alive. <laughs> You'll never get me, Kappa. By the way, uh, I have a very annoying habit of, for about 30 years now, of whenever I pass a, a cop with a speed trap on the highway, I I say, "You'll never get me, Kappa," <laughs> and it seems to be it, mo- it works most. Yeah. Most most of the time it works, although, uh, you know, I had my share. Right. And let's just say. Well, I've hey, had so, a few tickets in my day. <laughs> so aside from this amazing conversation about, uh, our, you can tell it's the bye week because we're all like, 
you actually remember that you have a life for a second and all that stuff. Uh, your Pittsburgh Steelers lost to the New England Patriots. Uh, the, um, was it 20, 27-16 last week? Uh, I mean, not that not that either of us were totally surprised. Uh, I kind of, you know, sort of felt like that would be around the score, what the score was. But uh, I'll, I'll start with this question. Are you like me in that you realized about halfway through the game that Tom Brady basically hadn't done anything in the game? It's a it was a complicated game in a lot of ways to watch. I was shocked at Cam Hayward's comments about quitting, and uh, that was just a frustrated player because uh, the Steelers didn't play horribly. Now Landry Jones left plays on the field, um, but he's Landry Jones. He was a little bit better better than I was expecting in some ways. And after I seen the way the game was going, there was plays to be had. Um, but I was very shocked at how well the Steelers did early on Gronkowski and James White. That shit changed in the second half. But, you know, uh, I also didn't expect them to get the ball jammed down their throat by the run game the way they did. Yeah. Um, it was, it, there, there was so many plus and minuses to take from the game. You know, uh, I see Tomlin's getting hammered and the coaches are getting hammered. They didn't miss a block, didn't miss a tackle. I thought the game plan, for the for the most part, was pretty solid. Um, you, you, Le'Veon Bell on the offensive line, the, the holding call on Hubbard, um, it really, I, I it, it was a it was a huge call. It it, it was a bad call. And the team's fragile. I, I, I have my issues with Tomlin. I, I, I looked over the board, and there's not a lot of posters. And it's if you're pro-Tomlin, I'm not necessarily with you. And if you're completely anti-Tomlin, I'm not can, with you, that group of posters either in my thought process. I'm more at a point where the players are failing to execute because they're not necessarily up to doing what they're asked to do. Um, Artie Burns is not ready to play as many downs in the NFL as he's being asked to play. Um, I, I, I see talent there, but I also see hesitation, which leads to missed tackles and bad coverage mistakes or plays that need to be made that he can't make because he's thinking instead of reacting. Um, it's it's tough. Um, I think if Hayward played, I think if Ben played, um, if Eli Rogers was on time, I'm not even going to get into, you know, Green or even Martavius Bryant. Um, I think the Steelers are a good enough team where they could beat New England in New England if they're healthy. But the plays have to be made by the players, and a lot of players didn't make plays. Yeah. And uh, there was a lot of players that actually were solid, I, I believe, that did a pretty good job. You know, um, I have really no huge complaints about the offensive line. Um, I expected more out of certain players. I expected more out of Pouncey. I expected more out of DeCastro. But they they were solid, not great. Um, well, here's the, here's the point that I've been kind of hitting home the last couple of days. Um, 
you know, I think about some of these games. And last week against New England, not exactly the best example, but the game against Miami before that. Um, and just in general, something I noticed with this Steelers team in the last couple of years, it feels like the offensive line is really streaky. Like it's weird. It's weird to say that about a group of players, but you know, you usually say that about maybe your quarterback streaky or you have a receiver or a defensive player or whatever. But I feel like this offensive line is capable of uh, amazing, great streak during the course of a game where they just everything they do, they execute well and they just pretty much make the offense unstoppable. And then other occasions where they just can't do anything, you can't get out of their own way. Uh, and that somehow, you know, it, it seems to happen with more frequency than you would think with the amount of talent they have on the offensive line. And I, you know, the, that is just who they are. I don't know that you can necessarily make them more consistent, you know, by, by snapping your fingers. But I think one thing that, that is overlooked maybe is that play calling has a lot to do with the flow of the game and and getting your guys building their confidence through the course of the game so that you can ask them to execute more and more and and have more success with it and i feel like there's something there's an ingredient missing with our play calling in terms of two things one is building the the streak flow for our you know basically generating flow for our offense uh both our offensive line and quarterback are definitely streaky players that once their confidence is high they they can do great things when their confidence is not that high they can really struggle and then the the second thing is you know to set up something over the course of a game that later in the game comes into play i mean what's your take on that in terms of how play calling affects the consistency oh i completely agree i'm i'm with you Uh, i've i made the point after the first two losses, and I just have come to the to, to the rationale that that Tom that Todd Haley it, it lacks uh, like a rhythm with, with, with the play calling. He designs a great offense, but he has no flow to uh, of what he does. You know, of the play calling. A lot of times, there's no rhyme or reason. You know, Todd Haley's the guy that said that. You know, if he had a plus box, he doesn't care if it's third and eighteen. That he's going to run the ball in the hopes that the, that the co- that the coach will allow him to run the ball again on fourth and nine if he gets that same box. As soon as you like, you read quotes like that, and that's from like two years ago when it was discussing the Steelers' run game. It starts chipping away, and I and I say to myself, well, this guy is just the the type of coach that puts himself in a box, and he will not step outside of that box or outside that comfort zone. He's going to go with what's familiar. He's going to go with what he He's the opposite of um, Gary Patterson, who is the head coach at TCU. Not a great example this year. TCU three years ago went four and seven, and Gary Patterson realized running the ball and playing great defense ain't going to win in the Big 12. He went, he snatched up two young offensive minds, Sonny Cumbit and the guy that went on, who's now the offense coordinator, I believe, at, at Louisville to run his offense and they all of a sudden you have what I described the spider monkey offense and TCU has been dominant the last three years in college football just by you got to have that confidence and you got to have that comfort in your own skin to say you know what I need to learn something else I need something more yeah um you know it's funny like I I I feel like that's one of the reasons that we're, we're sort of easy pickings for for New England is that you know, we're 
uh, were predictable from the standpoint of not necessarily exactly the plays that are called, but what we like to do and uh, what our preferences are for how to win games. And we don't, we don't seem to drop a bunch of wrinkles in for New England that you th- you say to yourself, oh, that was a nice, you know, uh, they usually they usually do this from that formation, but they did something that really that really surprised me as a fan who watches all their games. Um, I watched, did you see the Belichick breaking down uh, plays from last week? I did. Or, I've know? seen about 80% of it. Uh, yeah, where, where they have the two-screen pass. They basically start off on uh, the defensive side of the ball where they show everyone covered in Landry Jones basically having to use the seat to gain positive yardage. Yep. And I, you know, the the thing is, uh, there were there were two plays in there that really struck me, but uh, the one I was thinking of right now is the long gainer to Gronkowski where he ended up, uh, you know, t- turning Robert Golden, you know, completely around and uh, ended up with a long catch and run down to the four yard line or whatever uh, it was, is that they, they ran uh, at, you know, what looked like the same over pattern that Gronkowski runs over and over again. They use a lot. They use it in the game a lot. It was covered a lot pretty well by the Steelers. Uh, And, you know, because they sold that so many times, Golden got into the, you know, he just, it just, all it takes is one second where you think, you know, dead, you're dead sure what's coming. Uh, and you anticipate that, which is what good players do. They anticipate what's coming. And instead, your anticipation is used against you. And, uh, you know, you got, you got completely turned around and utterly lost in man coverage. Um, it, I don't know. I just, I don't, I mean, other than maybe, you know, guy like Antonio Brown was setting up with precision route running to run a back shoulder fade. Other than Other than stuff like that, that's more like a route running technical thing don't necessarily see play calls where you feel like, oh, they were working for three weeks to set up that play. We don't often say, oh, that's what, you know, that's why we, that's why they ran that play all, you know, all year so they could do this trick play out of it or do this different look out of it or something. And to, and to me, that's a, maybe a small thing overall, but it just feels like that's when you have a game, that's a tight game against a good opponent. You have to mix it up a little, don't you? You have to. Um, you know, it's, when push comes to shove, you know, um, the Steelers seem to have the most success offensively out of the no huddle. And maybe it's because the defense can't, you know, you got to be pretty vanilla out of it. Zone coverage, maybe it's because the quarterback has more confidence and he can call what he wants to. I mean, um, I but watched. There, there is a flow to it. That's the thing you're talking about creating flow. The, the no huddle, by its very nature, it may not be the yeah. right flow, but it creates a certain rhythm. Go ahead. Absolutely, it's and momentum and rhythm and flow and confidence all go together in sports, and it's true for pretty much every single team sport I can think of, from hockey to basketball to even baseball. You know, there's uh, there's people that complain about pitchers that just, you know, the human rain delay. They take 15, 16 minutes between pitches, and that's part of their game. It's part of what they do is to break a hitter's rhythm. I mean, it's it's true in all sports. And if you look, I mean, I, I'm not a humongous fan of Belichick and McDaniel, you know, necessarily, I think what they do is they prepare their teams um, and uh, 
I can't think of the defensive coordinator's last name. We'll call him the bearded one. The, the, the teams are technically sound. They're not always the best teams. You know, I hammer on Belichick for personnel all the time, personnel decisions all the time. I don't think he's the genius that people think think that he is. Um, I'll give him credit. Joe oh. Looney, the guard, they drafted, and I was like, what the fuck are they doing? This is ridiculous. Taking this kid in the second round, he's a pretty good left guard. Matter of fact, he's very good. Yeah, he had a, he, he was uh, he was really good in the game against the Steelers. David Andrews, who they took from the University of Georgia, I thought he was a pretty good player. Pretty good player, <laughs> you know. He's he's he. I'll put it this way: there's not from what from one game watching what he did and what he was asked to do and his skill level. There ain't a lot big difference between him and the Pouncey kids. Yeah. Outside of four or five rounds in a draft. <laughs> and the contract. It's not even the rounds of the draft difference. It's the contract that Pouncey has now that we're carrying. Uh, at any rate, hey, just quickly. He's actually uh, a stall. Yeah. I, you know what? And 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 I'll. I don't have a huge complaints about the way he's playing. How about that? I mean, he's there's limitations with Marquise Pouncey, but some of the things that he does bring, I can understand why he gets paid the way he does. Um, he gets out front a lot. There's Levy on Bell runs and makes blocks at the second, sometimes third level. Then a lot of Thunders can. I, no, didn't no, want to I, I actually have no, I have no problem with his play, huh. and I agree with you. You know, very some limitations like all players do, but I like his sure. play. It's just that. You know the cap. The cap hit is a big swallow, though, it is. for Absolutely. the position. But you know the way things are now. I guess things the focus is moving more towards the interior, both the defensive line and offensive line. I guess in terms of the the people in the league, that's what they seem to think right now. So all right, you know I can buy that. Um, uh, let's talk about third down for a second because the other thing that creates flow is converting third downs, right? So keeping the ball. You no, know, so to me it's like I I. I um, I'm going to tell you something that I feel is shocking. For years, I think the success of the New England Patriots is two things. One is they actually don't ask their players, including their quarterback, to do a lot of stuff that is just uh, you know relies on their brilliance and accuracy. And instead, they give them simple stuff to do. They do it over and over again. You know, the quarterback finds the open guy, hits him. It's not like a it's not rocket science necessarily, but it seems so organized. That's that's part of what they, makes them successful. And then the second thing that really makes them killer is their ability to convert third downs. Uh, and, you know, I just feel like every time you watch them that it's a miracle if you can get them off the field on third down. They drop a pass. You got a, you know, random penalty. Um, you know, somebody made a spectacular play on defense. That's how you stop them on third down. Otherwise, they just march down the field. So, you know, in looking at the Steelers' flow issues, I think to myself, well, the biggest difference is that they, they seem to be spotty in terms of picking up third downs. Well, here's the mind-blowing statistic. As of right now, in 2016, the New England, New England Patriots are seventh in the NFL on offense. They've converted third downs at a rate of 44.2%. Uh, the Steelers are eighth. They've converted, converted 43%. So basically, they have nearly the same third down conversion, but Here's what I would say to you. Do you think those 43.3% that the Steelers converted were as easy as the 44.2% that New England converted? Because to me, that's the thing. It's like we we can make it look really hard on third down, and they make it look really easy. I think the, the first two points that you, you made go hand in hand. Um, New England, and even the, the Steelers do it to a point, but not. it's just not – 
as precise because they don't have the precise technicians. The Steelers don't. Antonio Brown is a great, fantastic route runner. What makes him a phenomenal football player is his God-given ability of quickness, being able to slow it down, speed it up, slow it down, speed it up, slow it down, speed it up. His ability, you know, to quick turn and pivot. Um, and New England has more natural-looking athletes that have been doing it longer inside this offense, so it looks at times better. I'll give you an example. Every single NFL team runs a play called red-right option, X-under, Z-vertical. And that was run by the Pittsburgh Steelers of the 70s, Bill Walsh's San Francisco 49ers, you know, Mike Shanahan's Denver Broncos, Bill Belichick, Todd Haley, Bill Cower. Every single team runs this play. Not every team runs this play the exact same way. Because mm-hmm. Even though the routes are the same and everything is absolutely the same, but it seems that, you know, New England, perfect ball fake. Tom Brady, you know, with the perfect fucking footwork, with the little, you know, quick rollout and everything. I watched New England convert the play against the Steelers three times. I called out what it was going to be, and no matter what zone you have, they're going to beat it. It's it's a zone killer. If you run man coverage against it, they're going to pick you, and Gronkowski is going to run for 40 yards. So it's basically the way the NFL is set up is one of the plays that's pretty much indefensible if the ball's on time, if the quarterback makes the correct read and makes a precise throw. Those are things that play right in the Tom Brady's game. I watched the Green Bay Packers, and everyone wants to know why the Green Bay Packers are struggling so much. Run the exact same play four or five times. Aaron Rodgers got basically smoked twice and basically had to chuck the ball out of bounds two different times. And the reason was Jordy Nelson couldn't get off the line of scrimmage, and they basically took um, Cobb out by, you know, just the, the zone coverage con- concept. And that's probably two of the best quarterbacks. People, I love Ben. Everyone loves Ben. If, if you ask the, 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 the populace who the two best quarterbacks in the NFL are, they're going to tell you Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers had no fault. <laughs> you know, it's just that Jordy Nelson is struggling. You know, Richard Rodgers is out. Ty Montgomery's your running back, so they, nobody was really respecting the run. Yeah. Voila. Yeah, and the thing is, Brady makes it look so easy. Uh, you know, that's, I guess. How many times? It's probably a thousand times they run that play a year. Yeah. A thousand times they practice it. And it's, I can see Bill Belichick being the bastard with the tape lines, you know, where he run the route. When you, you run right on the tape, you cut right on the tape. And it pays off, man. You know, it's, it really yeah. does. Yeah, I can see that. Hey, I A receiver being Go ahead. a foot out of position can be the difference between a play being a touchdown and being a sack for an eight-yard loss. A foot. Sure. Sure, especially when everything works together. I mean, that's kind of my point is, you know, I mean, I'll, I'm I'm all for option routes and, and uh, not running, you know, into the teeth of the defense and stuff like that. But it, just, it feels like sometimes that there's so much emphasis on the option routes that, the, the the concepts don't work together as well as they could 
if uh, in the when the plays are designed to get you out of a certain look or to take advantage of, you know, force a player to choose high, low, give your quarterback a simple read, you know, where it's like you, you got really one person to read, you read this guy. If he goes high, you go low, et cetera. Right. So, right. you know, that's a, I don't know. I just feel like that is a, we, we, we rely so heavily on that. And when I talk about one-on-one at the game, to me, our Steelers offense feels to me like an NBA one-on-one offense. That's kind of what I'm talking about. I, I don't, I don't often feel like you can see you can see the design of the concept where we ran the corners off with this or the safety off with these these two routes and then a guy came underneath it and it you know it opened up you know maybe for very short gains once in a while we do that on short yardage but it isn't really a staple of our primary offense we run out of base. Uh I got I had a sort of related question uh and that is what is it about the evolution of defenses and what defenses are doing in pass coverage um, that the most NFL teams now no longer throw the football inside what I always like to refer to as the U. I'm obs- I'm obsessed with this concept. Uh, everyone now throws within seven or eight yards of the line of scrimmage, all all over the field. And then anything deeper than seven or eight yards is from the numbers outside, almost always outside the numbers, right? So what right. I what I want to know is, especially with the rules um, that you know don't allow the same sort of a hitting and contact on defenseless receivers as they come across the middle. Um, other than maybe a Gronkowski, who you know you see split that seam and so on and so forth. Why, why don't more teams attack the middle of the field? I have an idea of why. Okay. Um, do you throw this from a your get to approach this question a little bit differently? This from a refereeing standpoint, okay? You got a side judge, got a back judge, okay? You, you got the head linesman, okay, who really shouldn't be getting involved too much in the passing game, okay? If you throw the ball, okay, down the sideline, you got nine sets of eyes, or excuse me, you got eight, three sets of eyes, so definitely looking to the play down the sideline, okay? And that's and that's if the back judge actually is off the split half, okay? You can get away with so much more because of the position of the referees. Since they moved the umpire, okay, you can get away. You can get away with, if you're Richard Sherman, you know, basically holding down Julio Jones' left arm. So he can because the referee literally can't see it. You got, you know, six foot two men, sometimes six foot four, six foot five wide receivers. In Julio Jones' case, that's a six foot five, two hundred and forty pound wide receiver. That and Richard Sherman, who's a six foot four, two hundred and fifteen pound corner, and you did not have a referees with the ability to get their eyes on the interference. I think you can get away with so much more in the middle of the field, cheating, and that's what defenses always attempt to do. They try to push the line and cheat because you know their job is to not allow you to score. Face mask his head off at the two yard line. Helmet to helmet contact's fine at the two yard line. Don't let them punch the ball in. Yeah, it's, it's how defense is, is is coached. You along the sidelines, you can get away with a lot less in pass coverage. In the middle of the field, it seems that you can get away with a lot more because you move the positioning of the umpire. You know, you got you know the the, the you have the, the referee or excuse me, you have the the, the umpire now move behind the quarterback who's focusing on offensive line play from tackle in. So he's not looking at the passing game. He's not sure. looking, you know, at, you know, for, you know, it doesn't matter that Lawrence Timmons 
basically just tackled Rom Gronkowski coming across in the crossing pattern, which he did two or three times brilliantly. No way he'd get caught. And mm. Gronkowski was throwing shit fits, and I was like, ha-ha, good job, Lawrence Timmons. Yeah, it's, a, it's that's actually a really interesting theory. I hadn't thought of that. Had of it that thought of it that way. And to me, it's always it's a fear. It's a it's a risk aversion that. That's also another thing. Plays across the middle of the field get you killed. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's... Turnovers. I mean, your chances of throwing the chances of Landry Jones getting picked off, throwing only on you know deep on the sidelines, and everything else is right in front of him right. short, uh, is a lot less. It still happens because he's Landry Jones. Right. But it's it's a lot less than him trying to um, throw dig routes and stuff that you know require him Harrison, to find a tight yeah, window. Earl Thomas, Trey Palomalu, a guy that has elite speed and ball skills that can attack the ball in the air, can sometimes outrun the ball in the air. Oh, of course. Yeah, well, I mean, I just feel like that the game there's an opportunity to you know to do better to to uh, innovate in a way in the NFL by focusing on those those routes i like to, to attack the middle of the defense with success puts gives you an advantage because most defenses don't see that they don't have to defend it they don't have to face it and even though they might be able to get away with more in terms of contact and so on and so forth receivers also have a two-way go in the middle whereas you know when you got a guy with i mean for me as a defender i always had an easier time defending even a guy who was faster than i was on the sidelines on the outside versus sure. trying to cover a guy like that and out of the slot is you know, damn near impossible. So I just feel like, you know, in a way you're simplifying it for the defense. If you do that, because, you know, if they, if they know you're pretty much never going to run an in-breaking intermediate route, which used to be a staple of our offense, by the way, and almost completely gone now that if you're never going to do that, if you're Antonio Brown and you're bare, you know, maybe you run a, a post pattern at some point later in the game, but you're, you know, mostly you're running, stuff that's along the outside of the formation. I just feel like you give the defender such an advantage that you shouldn't have, shouldn't have to give them. Right. I mean, we'll take a perfect example of Landry Jones' first interception, where Landry Jones is definitely late throwing the ball to Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown's never going to win that ball. He's 5'10", 179 pounds. He's not going to fight back through a defensive back. No. Ben wouldn't have made that throw. It's just... And a lot of people will say, well, that picks a little bit on AB. You've got to get back. You've got to defend that ball. You've got to do something. Interfere. The, the interfere part's the only option that I've seen for AB. And, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. That, that is a, if you saw the end zone version of it, that is a perfect example of the difference between a pedestrian quarterback, a backup playing, and an elite quarterback playing. Uh, Antonio Brown does something very subtle that, great receivers know how to do when they're good route runners and that is he ran a vertical route but instead of running it exactly you know parallel to the sideline straight up the field he stemmed it in uh which is something that when you're a defender you can't tell that your receiver is actually creating room for himself on the outside and he he had butler completely set up for a back shoulder throw so if if the throw goes to the right spot of the field which is you know six or seven feet away from where the ball ended up, the, not only does the defender have no chance, it's probably an easy touchdown for Antonio Brown, the way that the, the route was stemmed. He had it completely set up for that. And, you know, that's the kind of thing where when you're running, you know, when you, when you know each other well and you know, and you know what, what the options and the routes are and you're seeing it the same way develop, then 
it's a pretty easy read for a quarterback who's done it a million times with the receiver. For somebody who doesn't get to work with them that much, it's probably not that all that easy a read. But I felt like the the real problem with that throw was not the choice to throw it. The problem with that throw was, you know, it's thrown to a, totally the wrong place. He's basically throwing the wrong pattern. And if you look, if you get a chance to see the end zone version, you'll see exactly what I mean. Uh, Antonio Brown created like you know five to ten yards of space for himself on the back shoulder towards the pylon, and the throw went to the middle like it was a post pattern. Anyway, end rant. Uh, I, I really appreciate the way that you know that's the little stuff like that about route running that people who are good like that game featured two of the absolute best in the NFL. I mean, I, I think if I named the top five route runners. It'd be hard to not include Rob Gronkowski and Antonio Brown on it. They're both amazing route runners, and Agreed. you know it's just like one couldn't be any different looking physically, but yet they're two of the most successful because they they just tech from a technical standpoint, what they do route running is so advanced compared to even guys who are young and fast and were successful college receivers. So many of them don't uh, understand the subtleties of it really, and they've been depend they depend on their talent a lot more on their physical talent a lot more than on route running. But guys who have physical talent and great route running are damn near unstoppable, and you can see those two fit that list for sure. Um, hey, um, let's. Uh, I, I want to get in to talk maybe just our first uh, look, far-off look at the draft for a couple of minutes since we have the time on the bye week. Um, but before – and then we'll maybe look ahead of the Steelers' second half of the season. But before we do, we got a call uh, on the line. It is STD. He's with us. What's happening in, in the, the Amish country, my friend? Hey, guys. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Good. Um, I totally agree with uh, the points you guys have made that, uh, you know, we kind of lack that uh, precision on some things, and we don't run uh, routes to set up ideas. And it just, uh, you know, everything that you've talked about here for the first 20 minutes or so, or however long it's been, I mean, it, to me, that's exactly what was uh, what I see from our offense. I, I was going to bring up, man, it really seems like we throw that sideline throw an awful lot, and you have to be a, a pretty uh, pretty good quarterback to get that in there, and and um, that seems to be our route these days. Um, and uh, I guess the point I wanted to call in that, that uh, <clears throat> is just amazing to me, and it doesn't really have to do with football, but I cannot believe the the heat that uh, Tomlin and the Steelers are, in general are getting uh, at this point for losing a couple of games, one of which was with Landry Jones. Um, I, you know, are Steelers fans around you guys this, this big of pussies? I mean, I, you know, when I see people on the board and they, they say some of the stuff they say, my God, what the hell, you know? We should blow up the team and fire everybody. Are you kidding me? Well, A, we're spoiled. B, we're spoiled. <laughs> C, C, uh, we're you know we got nothing to talk about on the message board when they lose, except for how bad they are. Just like when they win, we talk about how good they are. That's my take right. on the, the three main reasons. FC, you got an insight on this? Is it different than it was ten years ago because of the internet? I remember I was at the like beginning of the internet stage with in football hating. Um, I think you, <laughs> with years, you grow patient 
and I think that what helped a lot was winning those two Super Bowls. If the Steelers hadn't won two Super Bowls, I would be such a hateful cocksucker at this point about the Steelers. So <laughs> I do agree about spoiled, spoiled, and spoiled. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just – I also think that people tend to um, swing the pendulum really far back and forth. When the team wins and, and looks great, they're unbeatable. They're the best team. I can't believe everybody doesn't think they're the very best. When they lose by any means, whether it's with the backup quarterback and, and uh, you know, two or three really key players missing against the best team in the NFL probably, then – it's still the sky is falling and it's the end and it's everyone's fault. And and I think both are true in a way and both are also totally wrong in a way. And I don't know. I, I think maybe it's just cause I'm a little bit older that I tend to be less, I tend to swing less with the, with the, uh, the theme of the moment or the, you know, the uh, emotions of the day I get, I hate when they lose and I, I love it when they win. And I get as worked up as anybody about it, but I, I guess it doesn't, you know, one, one loss doesn't swing me to the absolute bottom generally. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe a really, you know, a, a loss that really crushes your, your hopes for the season. That's one thing, but where we are in this season, I think the team is really yet to be determined what kind of team it is. Um, you know, it's just, will the injuries subside and you get some of those players back and build some momentum down the stretch. I could totally see that happening. Will the injuries linger and Shazir will never, you know, play another full game and Bud Dupree won't be back and, you know, it will have a merry-go-round at right tackle? That's also possible, right? So I think it remains to be seen. The fact that they're going into their bye, I think, is a incredibly good fortune, not only for the health of the team and their success, but also for fans. I think everybody needs a week off of really worrying about the Steelers, you know, life or, like it's life or death and maybe come back refreshed for the second half of the season so you don't have a heart attack, you know, in week, in week seven when we make it a close game against Cleveland or something, you know. So, uh, anyway, that's my zen wisdom for you. What did you guys uh, think about uh, Jarvis Jones there? There was uh, one uh, the point in the game where I thought he was playing pretty well. What What is your take on that? Nate Solder, FC? Um, I think that uh, I think Jarvis Jones is one of the more unlucky and abused Steelers players out there. Uh, he is what he is, and he has limitations athletically, um, but he plays hard. And I think that in a limited, if you limited snaps, and you have a James Harrison that's coming, you know, if they if they played. 50-50, 60-40 in favor of Jones. I think you get good production of your right outside linebacker with what you have on the roster. Now, I think both players are going to be gone next year, but I think that that combination is good enough to win games and maybe a championship with. I just I think that it's a whipping area where it shouldn't be as much from Steelers fans. They have an expectation of a level of production from that position, basically, and that liberal prediction comes from rushing the passer, and you're not going to necessarily get that in today's football, the way the Steelers play defense. Um, the Steelers don't force quarterbacks to hold on to the football between the 20s, so you're not going to see the 10, 15, 20 sack seasons 
from that position the way the Steelers schematically play football. Yeah, if we had Chris Harris and uh, Aqib Tlaib, we'd probably have a lot more sacks, I'm thinking. Not because, not because our corner. And in the future, we may. You know what I mean? When, yeah. you know, Artie Burns and if Golson gets healthy and develops, or if Sean Davis takes over the other corner, we may have two good enough corners to where we can, you know, play some bump and run coverage and man coverage and tight man coverage to where the quarterback's force hold on the ball and then you'll get the sacks. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, you know, to answer the question about Jarvis Jones, I felt like. You know, all credit give credit where credit is due. He made a couple of really great plays in the game. You know, he still had some issues. Actually, it's more alarming to me that the last couple of weeks without Cameron Hayward in there, Jarvis Jones has had problems against a run, which which is more disturbing to me. And even, you know, even James Harrison is not the guy that he once was against a run. Um, without Hayward, you can really see that, that uh, you know, teams are much more willing to pound it uh, on that side of the defense uh, with, with little resistance. You know, basically you had a lot of Artie Burns on the outside who, as FC said, you know, the hesitations will just kill you in the NFL because he has a physical skill to play against the run, but he gets out of position a little bit with the hesitation and that's all it takes. So if you're, if you're, if your outside linebacker is getting, you know, washed away on run plays and your um, stud inside linebacker is, hitting a the gap a bad gap. He's hitting it really hard and fast because he's hard and he's you know he's quick, but he's making the read where he hits the hole too hard to the inside and you no longer have Cameron Haywood there to to erase other people's mistakes or a, a James Harrison of two thousand nine or eight, then you know that's a getting given up 10, 10 11 yard rushes uh, that's that's a killer. And you know I'm like I'm, I'll take the kind of production Jarvis Jones showed as far as creating a turnover and and getting some pressures that would be that'd be great but um you know if we can't shore up the run game once Hayward is back we're, we're definitely going to be uh going to be in trouble I don't know my rambling thought on Jarvis Jones I mean I assume he'll be gone maybe if you if you added a stud if you know Bud Dupree were to take this big leap from year one to year two like some players do and had come in and just been so uh much of a threat it would probably open things up for everybody, including Jarvis Jones, and he would probably be good enough. If he had been drafted in the third round like Thaddeus Gibson, we'd think he was a superstar. So, you know, it's part, partly expectations and partly just he doesn't, you know, the, the position overall is so thin that there's a lot of pressure on Jarvis Jones to, to produce that's going to be almost impossible. Right. Nicest thing I can say about him. Um, STD, thank, yes. you for, thank you for the call and the support. Hey, you guys take care. We'll see you uh, two weeks. Yeah, hopefully after a win, man. <laughs> okay. Definitely after a win. Okay, cheers. Um, I forget where I was. I was going to ask you a question about that. Uh, oh, uh, if you know, the, the Darius Green apparently now finally starting to practice. Looks like that he will eventually come back. So that's going to lead to the first roster decision that's not a you know not a more or less a slam dunk um how do you see the Steelers tight end situation uh tussing out in the short term meaning when green gets gets uh put on the squad and then by the end of the season Grimble goes to the practice squad so that means he's going to be cut goes to the practice squad 
David Johnson's your H-back, fullback, lead block type. Ladarius Green's your number one tight end. Jesse James your number two tight end. Okay, well, first of all, how does Nick's fit into that? I think that he's going to go on the IR. Well, he played. He played last week. Did he get hurt again? Played how many snaps? Yeah. You know, I, I, if I don't think they want to cut him. Yeah. So, I mean, it's hard to take David Johnson out of the lineup too because he's actually he didn't have the greatest game against New England, but he's been a pretty good lead blocker. So Nixon Johnson, I don't think the Steelers are going to cut David Johnson. I don't think they want to cut Roosevelt Nix. So I think Nix, they may try to slide on TIR. You know, his problems with the back injury. So, you know, that's, you know, you can just save a roster spot and save him from getting cut. Continue to let him collect a paycheck, get 100% healthy. And then you make a decision about David Johnson next year. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess I'm just going to throw this out there. Um, you know, I think a, a pretty healthy tight end situation is to have a guy who's your starter uh, and then to have a, a number two guy who is willing to do a little more dirty work and be less of a, you know, flashy offensive player. I mean, a, you know, receiving player, but who can, who can uh, you know, get a, a, a couple of catches a game for you somewhere, on, you know, that you need. Uh, maybe, you know, one key catcher in the game and, and do a really good job being a plus blocker, both, of, you know, run and pass protection. That, that to me is a more ideal role for number two. And number three, I think, is a guy that is, you know, has upside maybe and can fill in for your number one if the number one goes down. It's a, to me, the, the one and three roles are a little closer than the number two. And, you know, my fear is if you if – you, right now we've had Grimble as a number two, right? And and or Johnson, those two have kind of been splitting the role of number two. Uh, I, I kind of feel like I'm not. I'm not. I, at the start of the season, I really thought Jesse James's, you know, ultimate position in his career was to be a really effective number two tight end. Um, but with the with the weight loss and sort of body shape change that he's undergone over the course of the year, uh, to to so that he could be, you know, a better fill in at the number one. Uh, I, I think he's lost a little effectiveness as a number two. And on top of that, if last week's the last two weeks games are any indication, he's really struggled some in run blocking just in terms of he struggled um, run blocking for a while. It's he's yeah. uh he's more of a modern tight end. He's Gronkowski's actually a really good blocker too. I don't like to give him credit for it, but he is. He's the only one that's like that in the NFL. People like to say Delaney Walker. Delaney Walker six foot one and Delaney Walker has some Issues as well in the run game. Um, you know, uh, Jesse James is the new wave tight end. The Vernon Davis, the you know Julius Thomas type tight end. Um, and I understand what you said with your breakdown, where your second tight end's more classic blocking Matt Spath, Mark Bruner type here. Ex, you know, guy that can yeah. make a play if if needed, but is more more thought of as you know, a grinding type player instead of the athletic playmaking tight end type player. Um, even in Todd Haley's base type offenses under Bill Belch or Bill Parcells, where he learned, if you asked me to think of a New York Giants tight end, I would tell you Mark Bavaro, Zeke Mowat. And if you move on to New England, you know, um, they, 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 they had talent, but they, you know, and Ben 
oh, I cannot remember his name, but they had a really good tight end. Probably had six, seven hundred catches in his NFL Coates. career, but he was all Coates. Ben Coates. There you go, sir. Ben Coates. Yeah. Um, it's just, um, I think without Martavius Bryant, um, the Steelers heading into this season are looking for ways to stretch the field because Anthony Brown has many gifts, but just, you know, taking off running a nine route, that's not using him because he's so shifty, such a good route runner, you know, such a, you know, a valuable part that you would hope to do more with him in the possession passing game. So I think the Ladarius Green and Jesse James, to a point, can take the top off of the middle seam, which opens up a lot of space for Le'Veon Bell running in, catching the ball, opens up a ton of space for Antonio Brown. And if, you know, you can get something out of Sammy Coates, if you can get that hand and finger right, you know, he's shown that, you know, he can run by coverage. But, I mean, um, you don't think – I mean, I agree with all of that, but you don't think there's a chance – I don't think that this – I don't think the Steelers are – I think that Grimble is going to get to the practice squad. I think Jesse James is ingrained now, and I think the decision will come down to what to do with Roosevelt Knicks and the David Johnson. You know, he, he, what, what could happen is Roosevelt Knicks could possibly, in, in my scenario, if he goes to the IR, there goes your roster spot where you can activate, you know, Ladarius Green and you don't have to make a, you know, coinciding move of, you know, Putting, but then you're carrying, you know, basically two fullbacks and three tight ends on your, out of your active fifty-three. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see. You know, it'll be some insight into what they think. I, you know, I, I, I do think in a way, much like Artie Burns, that if James is going to get any better, it's because you give him opportunities. Uh, you know, he's not going to get better without opportunities. But on the other hand, you know, you got you got this weapon Levy on Bell in a game without Ben Roethlisberger. If you're a tight end, three three running plays in a row, um, thwarts even getting back to the line of scrimmage with a guy like Le'Veon Bell, something is wrong, and and you just can't. It's not like I mean maybe you can look at the film with the guy and explain to him what he did wrong, but uh, you know that to me is like you can't afford you can't afford to have three plays in a row in a game like that where you you know your tight end either runs past the guy that he should block or actually physically gets in the way of the runner. That just doesn't make any sense to me. And that to me is, you know, something got to be addressed with that. Right. And I mean, maybe what I, it's not a great thought for a lot of people, but uh, I, you know, whenever you poke around and you see and you look for things like from different sports writers and I'll give some of the, 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 I'll give the beat writers, the guys that are at practice every day and stuff like that, I'll give them hard looks and hard reads. I think that the Steelers, with one of your favorite ads, uh, Brian Mahalik, the offensive tackle from mm-hmm. defensive end from Boston College, from Philadelphia Eagles that we recently added, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see maybe that become like your second tight end. Or if it's, uh, I expect Marcus Gilbert's back uh, against the Ravens and back better than whenever he left because uh, he said that the elbow, it really isn't a problem anymore. And if that's true, (laughs) that is great news for the Steelers Um, because he had some struggles earlier in the year. And if, 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 if his arm, if it's, you know, right arms are better, if it's right, he'll be a far more effective blocker. But I think you could see, you know, the third tackle become your second tight end 
which you know completely limits some of the things that you can do out of the two tight end formation. But at the same time, you know, um, you got to get wins at the line of scrimmage if you want to run the football. And the Steelers want to run the football. You have to be able to run the football in today's NFL. Yeah. I, like I said, I just – I don't – I, I want to see Ladarius Green on the field because I think in the passing game especially, um, he, he really has a chance to be – He's a really good blocker too. He's not going to for it. He was, really was a good blocker for San Diego. Yeah. I, I mean, he's just, he's just a good player. And it sort of feels sure. like – I really want to see him at it. I think he's he he if he's healthy, he will be the cream of the crop of everything that we have right now at tight end. Um, sure. But oh, absolutely, I, I just I don't I don't want to um I don't I don't want to ditch Jesse James, but I want to put him in roles that better suit what he's doing. And I'm not sure the number two tight end is 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 that well, unless it's in a situation where you know you're you're gonna throw out of that formation and and you really need a guy who can get off. Of, you know, I mean. Even in that situation, I'm not sure that he's the best guy, and I and I don't want to I don't want to pick I don't want to um, you know put him in mothballs. But on the other hand, if Green is healthy, I just feel like J- James is a lesser version of what Green does, at least what he's done to this point in the NFL. Maybe at some point Jesse James will be better than Green if he if he you know maximizes all of his talents. But I'm just a, I'm unsure that in this season trying to win a Super Bowl that what we want to do is have Jesse James as the number two tight end. Like I, I'm not sold on that idea. And uh, I, like you said, they probably are, but he seems to be pretty entrenched, but something has to happen and change. So I guess maybe we'll the way out. they view the second tight end kind of stuff and the way you view the so. second tight end are different. Um, you know what I mean? Let's, let's talk for a second about drafts before we talk about players in the draft. <laughs> okay. Sitting where we're sitting right now. Um, <laughs> if you're the Steelers, you're putting a premium on which are you a better question? Are you putting a premium on certain positions like edge rusher or are you pretty much have an open board at this point? Unfortunately, I'm putting premium on oh, I think three I, or four I, positions. Oh. The start of the season. To... Sorry about that, FC. I lost you for uh-huh. a second there. Um, um, I'm putting up, I think the, sorry, the viewers have to select for position. Hold, hold the line one second. I realized what happened. Um, okay, I can hear you again. I think you there. Sorry, I didn't yeah. mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. Not a problem. I think the Steelers are going to have to draft for particular positions and not really enter with an open board. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean if they have a, a player fall to them that they can't just say fuck it, <laughs> we'll, we'll take him. You know, um, I an example. Um, I don't view defensive end as a big need at this point. But where we're drafting, if, say, a player like, I don't know, Miles Garrett <laughs> drops to us, yeah, i draft them. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I understand he wouldn't be a classic defensive end fit in our scheme, but he's a great player. I think that the Steelers uh, have particular positions of need. Um, one of the positions of need, obviously, is going to be outside linebacker slash pass rusher. Uh, the second position he's going to be running back, depending on what goes on with Le'Veon Bell. Um, D'Angelo Williams is done. Um, quarterback, backup quarterback, you're going to have to figure out something with. Um, offensive guard, um, if you're buying into Vell in the way of a big time and you're going to pay him, then that steps back that position of need a little bit because we've drafted Hawkins who out of LSU, who I'm actually a fan of, who I see down the line being a good player. Um, he looked pretty then, good. He looked pretty good in the preseason. 
sure, he's he's going to be a good player. He's lefty, natural left-handed, um, heavy punch, decent feet, needs some seasoning, young kid, um, flipped around between right and left tackle a lot at LSU, so he has some technical flaws, but he has ability that can't, he has a higher upside than, let's say, Valnueva at left tackle. I, I truly mean that. And I actually am a little bit of a fan of Valnueva. I think he's a good player. Um, I think that Hawkins have he checks off four of the five boxes of what you're looking for in the left tackle in the NFL. Um, defensive back, I don't see as a huge need. I think safety possibly is, but I don't necessarily, depending on what happens with Golson, you know, um, yeah. you know, Sean Davis, hybrid future players, you have free safety, is going to play corner. You know, um, if he's going to play safety, he's going to need to work on tackling. If he's going to play corner, he's going to have to work on his quickness. Uh, so, inside linebacker is a huge need. So both linebackers, running back, I would say are the top three pressing needs. Okay, but okay, if I'm going to characterize this draft in terms of how it seems to me at this point, in terms right. of prospects, and I'm just I'm very, very early in the process. I don't pretend to really know, but what I see, what I read, that inside linebacker is one of the thinnest positions in this this particular draft class right as of right now without players everybody right. declaring and all that stuff and uh out, the outside linebacker or edge rusher population is pretty good it's pretty it's fairly deep deeper than last year but mm-hmm. the, the position that looks like it's just absolutely loaded in this draft is tight end which is funny i think mean, we just talked about all the time right. talking about tight ends and how we not even sure how, how to get rid of the players that we already have but it feels like in the range the Steelers are probably going to be picking, which is even worse case in the 20s, um, it, it just seems like they're, they're going to have their choice if they want them of maybe two or three tight ends that are all of those like two-way guys who, who might be a great fit for what they like to do. Any chance of that happening now that we have Ladarius sure. going? None. I will be shocked if we draft a tight end before round five, unless someone yeah. absolutely stunning drops to us. Um, I care. See, if you look at the, the the most draft next break things down in classic positions. There's a lot of four three outside linebackers who will be phenomenal three four inside linebackers in the NFL. Hmm. Um, there there are certain there are certain guys that. Do, I, do you I, like the kid from Florida, Florida, Jared Davis? Oh God, I love, from Florida. Oh my God, yeah. he would be like a five star recruit at PWB State because. <laughs> Phenomenal measurables, phenomenal, but phenomenal film and horrible mean streak, but smart. He delivers the most devastating shots, and he keeps it right at the numbers, which is legal. He can cover. He can rush. He's about 245 pounds, no need to grow anymore. Sign him up. He, uh, Timmy Williams from Alabama, another one. Probably going to be drafted now, maybe in the late 20s to early 30s. He legally possessed a firearm. He uh, lives off campus, not the greatest area of Tuscaloosa, and legally licensed to have a firearm. And uh, got pulled over and had a gun in his possession. Legally, but that's supposedly a knock on his character because he had a handgun. It's a Second Amendment right. I'm not taking a political stand. He was completely legal. No problems with it. But some people have a problem with it. I just don't happen to be one of those people. You know, it's a mad, mad world out there now. So if you legally have a firearm and you're not a felon, then you're so be it. God bless you. 
Right? God bless but, America. <laughs> okay, but here's the thing. Uh, who who of the uh, potential, the players at the sort of needy positions for the Steelers are going to mm-hmm. be young guys with a lot of upside? Because to me, I think we're really on that train now with the Steelers where we're trying to draft, you know, typically guys who are uh, underclassmen and uh, and are young on the young side and have a chance to grow um, and develop. Right. Davis from Florida is a plug-and-play guy, possibly. Um, Timmy Williams would be an immediate pass rusher. You know, um, let, let's see facts. If we, chances are an outside linebacker will start for us next year, especially if Harrison's gone and Jarvis Jones is gone. I think most contracts up. Um, more likely than not, it's going to be Bud Dupree and somebody opposite of him starting an outside linebacker, a rookie or a free agent signing that we add if we're, you know, looking ahead to the 2017 Sewers roster. I don't think you would disagree with that. Yeah. Free agent signing, we're going to be a first or second round draft pick, most likely. So um, I, I figure if we add an inside linebacker that the kid from Temple is probably going to start off the year as the starter besides Shazir, and he's going to have to play for his position. Um, Melikavich. You know, if he's outplayed by if if like a Demar uh, like a Davis from Florida, if we draft him, or if, even if we a Raquin McMillan from uh, Ohio State, who is getting you know some push towards the Steelers, if we have the Steelers don't really like to play the young guys. I understand that Sean Davis disagrees, and so does Artie Burns now. But the Steelers were forced into these positions. It's just that the, the rookies were better performers, even if they weren't. NFL ready. They just have more upside, more potential to, to be better three or four games down the line than what they have on the bench. Well, you know, if, if we're all, I know we're all going to be sitting there talking about for months about which edge rusher the Steelers should draft in the first round and so on and so forth. Right, and then, be an offensive guard? No, draft gonna, in the first round? You know, or, or, or they're going to step to the, the podium and select Malik Hooker. You know, I mean, that that's like... Oh, I would love that from... Free safety from Iowa State. There's another player I'm a big fan of. I'm yeah, I mean, I, I, what I mean is, sure, I like I like the player. I'm just saying, redshirt sophomore, Ohio State. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that that just feels like right now. If I if I had old. to lay money on, you know, this the guys that are currently ranked in the top forty, uh, and looking at which one fits the Steelers, you know, kind of sensibility. He seems like the guy. Uh, but you know, uh, sometimes they have fooled me even though I thought I really had them nailed, you know, so it's entirely possible. Um, yeah, of these edge rushers, uh, you, Tim Williams, you say, I, I, I've heard talk of Tim Williams being anything from a second rounder to a top five pick. I'm wondering right. what really fits in the scheme of things. He ain't got legal. He's going to be a first round pick. Now I could see him being drafted anywhere from 10 to 32. We got to see how he does in the underwear Olympics. <laughs> Yeah. It's horrible to say that, but if you just look for production on the field, I mean, he's uh, he's as good of a pass rusher as I've seen at Alabama under uh, from the outside linebacker position under Nick Saban. I mean, he's as good of a player as, say, Marcel Darius. Um, he plays – I think that Jonathan Allen gets a lot of play because of Timmy Williams' ability to rush the passer and not vice versa. Yeah. Jonathan Allen's thought of as a first-round pick from Alabama. I think that uh, he uh, – I think that he's, a lot of his production comes from, you know, Timmy Williams coming off the edge. He's bad out of hell, and he's powerful. He reminds me a lot of James Harrison, a young James Harrison or in the passer, where he gets to, like, 42-degree angle, you know, in a six foot two, 255 225-pound compact body where 
You know, that six foot eight lineman just really can't get his hands on him. Can't get to that angle. Can't yeah. you know drop his hips, bend his knees to get there, even with the long arms. Who do you think will uh, test better? Not necessarily he's a better football player or a better NFL prospect. Tim Williams or Carl Lawson? Well, Carl Lawson will t- uh, test off the charts. Who do I think is going to be a better NFL player? Wow, that's tough. These are two of my favorite pass rushers. Yeah. Um, the thing that I think will maybe push Timmy Williams a little bit ahead of him is going to be medicals. Um, Lawson had a knee, and uh, he plays injured, don't get me wrong, uh, but, you know. Yeah. Interesting. Well, uh, one last thing, and that is running back situation. Do you think that's something the Steelers will address? I mean, you, you basically now you have your 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 main guy is got a little bit of risk attached to him, and, and although you'll be able to keep him, literally, if you paid him franchise money for a couple of years, it'd still be a savings over what you would pay for him as a on a regular contract. So that isn't necessarily the worst idea. But his backup is whatever, 30-some years old. This is the uh, best running back draft possibly in the history of NFL drafts. I went through and I counted 15 to 18 first, second, or third-round picks. And yeah. some of the guys I'm considering third-round picks would have been mid-second-round picks in some drafts. That's if everybody comes off. That's Leonard. That's if Leonard Fournette comes out. That's if uh, Christian McCaffrey comes out. That's mm-hmm. if Wayne Gallman from Clemson comes out. The, this running back draft is legendary. That's why um, I think the Sewers can wait to the second or third round and get themselves a very nice compliment to, you know, uh, to Le'Veon Bell. Um, as funny as it I, I mentioned this to somebody in the beginning of the year. I, I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast. I think James Conner is going to be asked to rush the passer by some combine. You know, some some it's some pro, the kid from Pitt. Uh, lots of people don't realize how good and natural he is at that. If he's sitting there in the fifth or sixth round, I could see the Steelers drafting him with that pure idea of rushing the passer. And I know it sounds ludicrous or funny, but anybody out there can go put in James Conner pass rushing and put in Pitt. And uh, I guarantee he rushes the passer some for Pitt tonight against Virginia Tech. Um, he's Interesting. He got a natural gift. I think he's a better NFL prospect as a pass rush specialist than an NFL running back. I think he's a good running back. And I know that sounds ludicrous. No, but I, uh, first I've heard please, it, but I can see it. Please, with very, very solid hip positioning, sets up his pass rush. He, he has a gift for doing it, and it's it's hilarious. But uh, he he's very talented, was very well coached, you know. Um, I Narduzzi and Todd Haley should get together and uh, – I give Nordizzi all the credit in the world. Anybody that's a Pitt fan out there, Pitt plays tonight against Virginia Tech. Watch the game. Pitt does so much pre-snap to confuse teams, and they don't take pre-snap penalties. It's a beautiful offense to watch. It really is. With the, They have, like, three motions. It's just ridiculous. Jet sweeps. Yep. Jet sweeps to fullbacks. Matt Canada is the offensive coordinator at Pitt, and he is a phenomenal honor. Yeah, I saw the the game against Penn State. They really they rocked it pretty good in terms of that sort of stuff. Um, hey, FC, I could do this all day. Unfortunately, I I, I have to go. Um, you could I could probably just leave the record button on and just let you talk draft for the next hour. <laughs> but we'll uh, we'll hopefully we'll do this again before too long. Maybe we can throw in a draft extra so we have uh, proper uh, attention that it deserves. Uh, but anyway, thanks, man, for talking Steelers football and a little bit of draft. Final thought for you. 
Um, I bet you every single Steeler plays outside of Bud Dupree next week against Baltimore, including Ben. Nice. I like it. All right. Enjoy the off week. Play some golf. Show your, show your dogs and your family, everybody. Yes, sir. And uh, that's my final thought. I'll talk to you next week, FC. Thanks again. Ooh, Stillers. Okay. Go Steelers.